Hey everybody, this is Mike Kottmeyer. I am the CEO of Leading Agile. We're gonna do something a little bit experimental here. And so what we're gonna do is that we've been exploring um, some really interesting ideas, um, our observations about um, the Agile market, the Agile transformation market, um, how that ties into broader issues around organizational change and some of the things that you guys are probably hearing about from reading Gartner Research or consultancies that you're working with. So we're going to try to connect some dots um, with you over the next 30, 40 minutes or so. Dennis and I are basically trying to figure out um, a little bit about how to talk about where Leading Agile has been where we're going, some of the problems that we see in market nowadays, um, some of the confusion that we see in market. So Dennis, I'm gonna pass the ball to you here a little bit. So um, almost 11 years ago now, 10 and a half years ago, we formulating Agile together with this idea that Agile, um, at least as it was being talked about then, like wasn't quite enough. So talk to me a little bit about your take on the formation of Leading Agile and kind of like what problem we have historically solved in market. You and I were um, introduced by- David Anderson. David Anderson, yeah, yeah. because we were both talking about the problem the same way, but from different angles. Mm -hmm. What I had been doing was working um, with business architecture, capability models to try to come up with um, organizational patterns and work breakdown patterns that matched so we could get work through an organization. Yeah. And I was at the time, I was working at version one, I think when we got introduced. And so I was like really in like, like scrum agile land. This is like really before even, you know, safe was a thing. So we've been doing some scaled agile back in my check free days, but like scaled agile wasn't even, hadn't even gone mainstream at that point. So yeah. yeah and one of the things that you were talking about was, uh, version one wouldn't solve the problem because yeah. the problem wasn't the software, it was the organizations weren't designed right. Yeah, so what we were kind of hunting at that time was, <clears throat> you know, I was going into these organizations to try to help them install the version one tool. And you're consistently walking into these companies and realizing that they can't even like form teams. They can't get backlogs, coherent backlogs. Um, they can't get to a working test and in increment of software. And it's like this whole story that I've been telling around the Agile transformation. So teams, backlogs, working tests, software, structure, governance, symmetrics at scale. And so we kind of had this key insight about the relationship between business architecture and um, team design yep. in Enterprise Agile. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, what, what we were doing at the time, what I was doing at the time was actually trying to solve like big enterprise project problems. Mm -hmm. So we'd go in and they're trying to refactor a part of the organization. The first thing I would try to do is go get teams aligned around the major capabilities they had to build and deliver mm -hmm. and then get the work really clearly articulated in them. So teams, backlogs, then with frequent delivery and integration, we were unlocking a lot of locked up value in organizations. Right. So it's really interesting to get on the whiteboard in my office and start talking about the thing, it's business architecture, Mike. It's all about capabilities, how we measure it. Yeah, and I kept saying, stop important. talking about business capabilities because <laughs> nobody cares, right? But they did, but, you know. <laughs> right. So so it was really interesting to come up with, um, to realize that we had we had a pattern that would solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, how do you get people to understand that's their problem? And how do you actually go solve it? Yeah. Um, became sort of a pattern that we've followed for a while now. Yeah. And so, and so as part of our transformation strategy, so what we would basically do is we kind of look at the business architecture of the organization and then use that as kind of an initial hypothesis on 
where we wanted to form teams and where we wanted to look for dependencies, ultimately how we might govern the flow of work across multiple business capabilities or multiple value streams, um, how we would measure differently, right? All that kind of stuff. And so I think we've gotten pretty good over the last 10 years of being able to take um, what I'll just kind of colloquially will say is like a tangled up organization, a misaligned organization and figure out how to, in a really structured and disciplined way, untangle it so that the, the, so that the, I guess the product factory or the software factory can actually produce stuff. Yeah. And yeah. there's some of the interesting, interesting things that we learned around uh, organizational constraints and encapsulation and orchestration mm -hmm. is how to design the best possible organization within all the constraints that exist. Yeah. Right. So within dependencies of technology or within the organizational compliance rules with how they, how they wanted to get product lined up. Yeah. Like, so that's a good point, right? So, so basically because, because what's interesting is when you go into some of these large organizations that we've had, um, I guess the, um, I don't say good fortune, it's not quite good fortune, but we've had the, um, the pleasure, I guess, of working with over the last um, 10 years is that, is that initially you don't get to walk into the CFO's office. You don't get to walk into the compliance office or the strategy office and say, you need to do your job differently. Or right. the talent management office. You didn't say you need to do your job differently. So what you just said, and I'm just kind of confirming, is that is that what we've really been doing is solving the enterprise agile problem within the constraints of the broader organization. Yeah, and one of fair? the things that's fair. And yeah. one of the things we talked a lot about is there's so much value in dollars released in doing that mm -hmm. that you then have money to go solve these other classes of problems as they come yeah, up. For sure. So so. We've done some fairly large transformations here. We're in the, the midst of doing some fairly large transformations. So what makes a, 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 a mega large transformation different than maybe a smaller transformation? And by that, I mean, what makes a, a 15,000 or 30,000 or 45,000 person organization different from, say, a couple hundred people? Yeah. So if you look at like what I was doing originally, what we started doing up front, mm -hmm. we're solving these organizational problems within the constraints of the organization. At some point where you're doing the whole enterprise. And even when we're doing it in relatively small companies, we, we start bumping into organizational constraints, compliance, budgeting, strategy articulation, talent. We start to bump into those types of problems. In a small organization, we can move those because people just sort of rally around the new model. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing the company the size of some of the companies that we're in, those are huge endeavors themselves to well, make those changes. Well, I might even say, so you say that you can do them and rally the people around them, but it's also, you can do them on a reasonable enough time frame. Yes. That that people can see the benefit of the new system and delivery and then go, oh, okay, cool. Help us figure out how to plug into it so we can realize this this more enterprise class. Yeah. So why is that different in a larger organization? Because it takes so long to move the whole organization to the new place. And there's so much inertia in the processes around it um, at, a, at an enterprise scale that it's hard to begin to change those giant um, workforce planning processes at a company that has 20,000 mm -hmm. or 100,000 employees. Mm -hmm. um, you can't go change their workforce planning processes very easily. So what happens is you get to a point where you've gone as far as you can go before the constraint has moved outside of what's in our control. And we're not doing projects. We're not doing like a slice of the organization, a single problem anymore, uh, that we can get exceptions to all those rules so the whole thing gets bottlenecked. Because it went from solving a problem to being like an enterprise solution. Mm -hmm. So there's big enterprise things that start to get in the way. So when you and I, you, when you and I were first, um, when we first kind of started down this path of inquiry, inquiry together, um, 
One of the things that you're working on with one of our large clients was um, an initiative that I guess a lot of people are talking about this now, the idea of projects to products. Yep. Right? Because we want to take a project-based funding um, model yep. and we want to move it into a product-based funding model. And my initial reaction was, well, in our model, that's just base camp four, right? Because at the point that you've gotten the system predictable and you've reduced batch size and you've broken the dependencies, basically the organizational units are operating autonomously. The idea was, is then you can now flip the governance model to um, be able to do basically team or organizational funding instead of project-based funding, right? And so the breaking of the dependencies between the organization is really the key enabler of being able to entertain that next level of thinking. And so talk to me a little bit about the friction and, and why the, the tension that you guys were feeling where it was true, but it was not true at the same time. Yeah, because you you can change it for like a small subset of the organization or for funding like a whole team as a project in their current funding models. But to actually get all of my maintenance dollars and like these are whole organizational things, all my maintenance dollars, all my new project dollars, all my modernization dollars, all my operating and, and uh, keep the lights on dollars into a single budget to fund it across multiple organizations breaks all kinds of processes outside of, of the, that delivery. And so there's nothing that existed in the organization that made that possible without changing a whole bunch of stuff we didn't actually originally have agency to go address. Yeah, because the, the way our consultancy had evolved, it, it was interesting. It's, it almost got to the point where operationally day-to-day um, – we're just almost like an expedition to base camp factory, right? So we'd go in and look at the organization or a subset of the organization. We'd break it down into expeditions. We'd say, okay, what is the, what's the destination that this one wants to go to? So we'd say, okay, this one's going to base camp three. This one's going to base camp four. This one's base camp two. This one's base camp five. And we put together these journeys, these outcomes-based plans to get them there. But I think the realization was is there's a certain class of problem in these large organizations that as you're systematically moving expeditions to base camps, you can't actually flip the, sh- the funding model or the, some of the budgeting or HR things until enough of the organization has reached critical mass yes. to be able to like fully exploit it. Talk to me. So early on, um, when we start doing those, it starts adding a little bit of burden either to the expeditions themselves or to the funding and budgeting group to try to keep track of two sort of modes. But at some point when enough of the organization has flipped over, the the old way of budgeting, the project-based budgeting, all those other things become um, untenable because the, the, the practice of bringing them together to now fund stable teams becomes becomes the burden. The shift, the shift from um, uh, the orchestration of the old way versus the new way. Now, now the orchestration is greater to to maintain the old way of budgeting, the old way of strategic planning. Yeah. So what? So it seems like what's emerging is that there's this. There's this flow that gets teams and organizations into the right ecosystem to be able to to be more agile or to to operate with more agility. But then there's almost like a flow that like rides on top of it that as the organization starts to click into place, there's some bigger things that need to be addressed. Yeah, the stuff that's in the office of the CIO or in the CFO's office or in the COO's office around workforce planning. There's big processes in organizations that are how we create the conditions for those expeditions to live within that actually have nothing directly to do with the expeditions, except that's where they get money and permission and agency and, you know, the ability yeah, to operate. The ability so, to actually operate. So, 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 so it becomes not getting this agile 
it becomes creating those conditions. Yeah. So one of the things that I thought was interesting is we were kind of having our pre-talk associated with this. One of the things that I think that Leading Agile did a really good job in market um, over the years is is helping people understand that that Agile isn't just about adopting Agile, right? It's about solving business problems, right? It's about it's about helping your organization respond um, to see changes in market. The, the, the ability of the organization itself to pivot, just not any particular requirement set um, to be able to pivot. And so, and so I think what we did is we, is I think what we're doing is we brought the people that were interested in solving the agile problem into this bigger worldview. And mm-hmm. you and I were just exploring like what this bigger worldview is. If you can, it'd be actually, probably should have tried to do this with a whiteboard, but we'll, we'll maybe save that for the next rev. Talk to us a little bit about um, what you think the big, big picture of Agile transformation yeah, is. Yeah, I'm going to try to do this with like a- every, Yeah, like a concentric circle is what we're drawing. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so if you so, see Dennis waving his fingers, he's drawing concentric circles on a whiteboard. So, so in, the, in the center of the circle is the market and customer. Yeah. And the conversation is if your systems and structures aren't aligned with your markets and customers, you're going to struggle in market. Yeah. And, and like at a really simple level, right? If the team isn't pointed at a product owner or an on-site customer producing a working tested increment of software every sprint, well, then that agile team isn't going to work, right? That's right. If, if we have a work group, whether you're using SAFE or something like that, maybe 10, 15, 20 teams, right? The teams have to be pointed at their particular piece of the customer, but then the whole organization, it has to be pointed at its customer as well. That's right. And then, and then that expands out into the entire organization. So the secret, right, that what it really means to have organizational agility is at every level, the, the systems and structures are pointed at their customers and markets. And, and they're basically backlogs, teams, working tests of software. That's right. right? All Same the way through. Thing. Yep. What happens when you get really big in these organizations is getting that teams, backlogs, working tested software, um, there's other controlling processes that are less connected. So we talk about things like product management, getting the system of delivery, awesomely delivering software mm-hmm. as a factory that's reliable and predictable and cost-effective is, is amazing. But if product management doesn't know how to use that system of delivery, it breaks. So one of the things we ran into early- Yeah, I was going to say, go ahead, yeah, sorry. Well, four, four, yeah. four or five years ago, we started yeah. building um, a product practice. We started trying to address- Oh, I was going to go, the, the response, I was actually going to go um, one step before that. We actually had a customer recently, it was a, probably a year one, year two customer say, we got really, really good at building the wrong product. That's right, that's right. right? <laughs> and it's like, you recognize that the product problem is a first class problem, but if you're trying to understand your customers and your markets and all those things, but you don't actually have a delivery organization that can produce yes, anything, it doesn't work. How do you get fast feedback? How That's do you right. iterate? How do you put things in front of them? Because most organizations aren't built to do that. So we actually came to market as leading agile with like, okay, let's get the let's get the software factory working, first yep. of all. Right. Yep. And then we recognize, well, we can't leave the customers in a place where they're building the wrong product with this the state of the art software factory. So we started building the soft. We started building the product practice, and we have an amazing group. Yeah, it's awesome. Around Great that now. group of people. Then we sort of found out with the with the product practice, there were a couple of next obstacles. One of them was um, just how do I keep stable teams funded when I'm getting sort of the bigger organizations? How do I build budgets? And so we would talk about how do I bring together all the monies that fund teams, mm-hmm. so teams aren't hunting money. Yeah, in an organization, it turns out there's kind of a class of problem before that, mm-hmm. which. Um, we, we had been talking about for a while, which is 
until I know how to get my strategy articulated yeah. in a way. I was wondering if you were if you were changing the model on me or if you had just skipped, skipped that it. one. So I, you just I, skipped that one? I skipped okay, it because cool. <laughs> as I was trying to put them in order, yeah. it became sort of like, this is the problem we were solving. Yeah, it's kind of hard. It's like a little bit of a chicken and the egg. So what you're basically saying is that like, so you have this idea of there's, a, there's a, an, an organizational strategy that gets realized by this 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 organization that is that is basically where systems and structures are aligned with their customers and markets. Yep. But if the strategy isn't informing what those what you've decided to do with those customers and markets, right? Then it's like you, you don't really know where to head, right? You're kind of rudderless as an organization, yeah. right? Yeah. And, if, yeah. And, if, and if you look at how most strategy sort of patterns work in organizations today, strategic decisions get delegated down. Then anything that's not exactly right gets bubbled all the way back up. Mm-hmm. So in order to kind of build these things, make it work fast, you have to be able to delegate decisions down. We talk about a trusted system. Mm-hmm. We talk about that sometimes. I feel I have a system that I delegate things into mm-hmm. and that I actually only know when they're off track or that I know they're on track. Yeah. Well, then I'm to get status reports for everything every day. Yeah. But it also isn't this sort of general, just trust the teams. They'll go do the right thing because they're directly in touch with the customer because it may not be aligned with the strategy. So it's system. So the idea is system of delivery, then make sure that you're feeding it with the right stuff and then make sure you're feeding it with the strategically aligned stuff. That's right. Which is kind of like another way of saying the right stuff, but it's really connecting that dot very explicitly. Yeah. Yeah. One is really understanding your customers and the problems you're solving. One of them is deciding which customers and problems you want to go after. Yeah. And, and, and they all inform each other, but you kind of have to get good at, at that stack to really get the benefit because a great strategy with no ability to execute well, that, res- that rings true, right? Because in some of the early engagements that I was more directly involved in, we'd get the software factory working really well, get the product people really engaged, and they're feeding the backlogs. And then the the team is building, or the organization is building the software so effectively, you'd start the strategy queue. That's right. Right after it. So why does budgeting come next? So budgeting comes next because in order to get those teams stable and have the right structure in place to feed the backlogs, keep the team stable, deliver frequently, you've got to be able to fund that whole thing Together, so budgeting is dependent on a strategy and mm. a strategy. I'm going to say strategy delegation model. Yeah, we're going to come up with something different than that, yeah. right? But the ability to—it's okay when you explain it. You just don't always have the opportunity to explain it. <laughs> the, ability, the ability to delegate strategy down into yeah. teams, so I can fund the team because behavior follows the money in an organization. Mm-hmm. And if I can't trust that what I'm going to delegate is how the world's going to operate, then I'm going to have the business people spending all of my product capacity on new things and running the product into the ground, or sure. I'm going to have IT spending all the money on modernization, which isn't the most important thing, and not delivering the new slice. So I need some way to manage the behavior of the organization, yeah. pay attention to the what the results we're getting, so I can fund it right. So the strategy thing comes before budgeting, <clears throat> yeah. but I think originally I thought that was the other way around, but what yeah. we learned is that you've got to do strategy first. We'll reserve the right to, cha- to change models anytime <laughs> we <laughs> No, it's like, it's interesting, right? It's like, it's like to some degree, and this is something we we're exploring, is that it's, it's, it's like, you, you almost need to talk about it linearly but in reality, it's often messier. Yeah. Like we were talking about, so I think the next three are what? It's like um, talent and technology uplift and then compliance. Well, I'm going to wrap three. talent. I'm going to wrap talent and leadership around the whole circle. Okay. So I'm going to- Oh, that's put, right. Talent's on the outside. Yeah, I'm going to cool. put, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, put yeah, technology sure. next. Okay. Because if I don't have, because the thing that we have found is I can't get the right funding to do the technology stuff because if a team gets more efficient at building software, that money's in a different budget than the budget that does the, the modernization or does the maintenance and does the support. So the way that we fund organizations leads to the result of people shortcut their projects mm-hmm. in, in the in the stuff that's going to take to support it. So technical debt starts to build up over time. Got it. So I got to drive I got to drive the behavior through the dollars of 
build something that's supportable and maintainable over time. So you don't want to you don't want to start tackling the technology problems until you have really the strategy alignment and the budget problems. Yeah, and again, again yeah. it's not that linear. We can start building muscle and skill around sure. it. Sure. But I can't expect different organizational behaviors till the money feeds it right. Yeah. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So 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 now my now I've got now I'm all the way in the circle. Now I've got the compliance one, which I have as the sixth inner circle. And the compliance one is about making sure that all of our all of our compliance and regulatory things are under control. And I think we, we can't abandon any of those. And I don't really think that you can start to loosen up on those completely until you've completed the circle for some part of the organization. Like I have to be able to know that my infosec is in place. I have to be able to know that I've followed all of my compliance rules for building the software and it passes all these different types of tests. So I'm going to be a little provocative, but since our, our um, audience is largely comes at this from an agile point of view, um, when we start talking about compliance and things like that, I mean, it feels very anti-agile. Like, I mean, why don't we just, you know, again, just tell those people to go away. This is an agile shop. We don't need compliance. Because, because public companies and big companies and investors actually care about their risk management and care about not going to jail for uh, infosec problems. And they care about meeting their legal and compliance rights so they can sell their product and stand market. Those things are not um, intended. They're implemented in ways that are obstacles to writing code sometimes, but they're, they're intended to protect the interests of the company. So what you're saying is that compliance can be re-engineered. It can be transformed to actually support the goals of agility Absolutely. and not work against it? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe it still slows you down a little bit, but if you're mm -hmm. building something that um, allows your privacy information to get leaked into the market, and cost you a hundred million dollars to yeah. to solve. That's probably a bad thing, right? Congress calls you to Washington yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, so then that that leads to the two outer circles, and I'm not quite sure okay. if it's one circle or two circles. Sure. We've talked about it, but yeah. there's there's the circle on the outside, which is now talent. So, in every one of those areas, we're not just teaching scrum masters and product owners how to operate. We're teaching everybody from a talent standpoint. We got to do the right workforce planning. I got to put the right people in the right jobs. I got to mm -hmm. staff things correctly. I've got to make sure the teams that should be co-located are co-located, and teams that can be distributed. Mm -hmm. are distributed. All that becomes a factor towards that system of delivery working, but it sure. also becomes a factor in all those other areas working well. Um, career progression and... and um, Like and, all the things we're doing teaming. internally with our, inter our uh, it's, it's, talent it's, lifecycle it's the, management. It is the yeah. ELM thing, right? right all that yeah. And then outside of that, I'm putting, I'm putting leadership. And leadership is um, your job now is not, it's not some kumbaya servant leader sort of thing. It is how do I build an organization where my markets and structures my my, my my systems and structures <laughs> yeah. are aligned with my markets and customers yeah. all the time. Yeah, basically teaching leadership and management how to operate this integrated end-to-end -end system. Yep, right? instead, of, instead of dealing with every escalation and every crisis and managing all the um, stuff or casting um, strategy over the wall that can't be executed, right. how do I build a system that works that way? So okay. teaching leadership to run differently. That's, so the, that's the model. So I'm going to pivot with you. So, so awesome. Thanks for explaining that. Um, so here's an interesting thing, right? So, so again, I'm going to reiterate on where I where I just brought you. Um, we've done a really solid job of bringing the agile community, I believe, into recognizing that all of these that there's a larger set of concerns. Yep. Um, a lot of times we get on the ground with clients, and they've been you know reading the latest Gartner um, research, or you know they have other consultancies in, and they're talking about things like. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about P2P, um, projects to products. The, you know, PDO is a, is a hot button word. Digital transformation is kind of a latest buzzword and things like that. 
So one of one of my frustrations internally is that sometimes it's easy to like almost want to articulate a competitive response on on um, the, the like basically follow follow the market into those storylines. And one of the things that I've really deeply believed is that is that it's all really just the same thing, a little bit. Um, so so talk to me a little bit about um, like maybe like how PDO is the same or different than an agile transformation? How is it same or different from this big problem that we've been exploring for the last few minutes? Yeah, so if we go look at at, at PDO, you can have perfect agile teams, um, but if they're not built around products and you're not connected to the customer and getting the right information into those teams, you're not going to get any value. And so PDO, if you're just going in and trying to say, okay, let's just form a bunch of teams and make them all product-oriented, but you don't have ability to build backlogs you can't govern the flow of work you're not delivering things frequently if you're not doing the core blocking can't get and tackling, it aligned to strategy can't, can't get, get it strategy. budgeted can't yeah, get then, it right then, yeah. then, then it all falls apart so what happens is a lot of these items that come in are trying to address a symptom it's actually a gap not even a symptom it's a gap it, it's, 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 it's a legit right, gap it's a sure. legit gap yeah but, it, but it's only part of the gap and that the things connect together yeah so when you try to solve part of the problem yeah, um, you don't you don't get the result that you want. Yeah, so so it's funny, right? So um, I obviously um, didn't didn't invent this story and, and clearly didn't even make the connection to it initially. I think I got um, introduced to this ten or twelve years ago in the early days of of agile. But this this parable out of India, I think, of blind man and the elephant, right? And so and so, what I've come to believe is that is that this this larger problem that you've been exploring about um, aligning systems and structures to markets and customers and and everything that you need to do from your system and delivery all the way through product and strategy and governance and all the different pieces we've talked about, talent, leadership, that is the holistic picture. Those are the things. That is the universe of things that have to be aligned. It's these fundamentally are, an alignment problem. These are the things that must be true to right. get the results that you want from your organization. Right. So, so in that parable, like what you basically have is you have um, blind men that are trying to describe an elephant from their particular point of view, right? So they can't see the whole elephant. So they describe the, the trunk or the tusk or the leg. And you might imagine if you're trying to describe an element elephant from a very limited point of view you end up with a very skewed perspective yeah. of what the nature of the work is. And so one of the things we've been talking a lot about internally is, is like, how do you help a client understand that when they read a piece of research and it's talking about PDO or digital transformation um, or DevOps or, I mean, it's just tons of, we were talking about enterprise architecture, yeah, strategies, outcomes-based EA, outcomes yeah. yeah. So, so how do you connect those, those concepts back to the bigger story? You, so the first one is you have to kind of understand that the, the kind of the connective tissue between those different mm -hmm. parts of the system. Because what's happening is somebody's getting paid in one of those slices to make that slice work better. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the insight into the whole system. They don't. They don't. They don't have a picture of the. So elephant. they're one of the blind men, right? They're yeah, one of the blind sure. men. Yeah. And and they're getting paid and are accountable for improving the performance of the leg. Right. And 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 because because we don't have a way to look at it in a big picture. Yeah. And identify the dependencies on how far you can move that leg before you have to move some other part of the elephant. Mm -hmm. I, I like this metaphor. Yeah, I do too. That's nice. Um, yeah. 
Um, you can only move that leg so far. You might be able yeah. to flap the ear pretty far or move the trunk pretty far. It's only been vetted by like three or 4,000 years of... Uh, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, so. So, so there may be some more adaptable pieces and less yeah. adaptable pieces, but you're only going to... Until you move the whole elephant, Yeah, you're not going to get um, what you're looking for. And so so there's this, there's this contrast between we have people held accountable for a performance of a slice, mm-hmm. um, seeing the problem from their point of view and doing the best they can to solve it, they go read something that looks like it will work mm-hmm. and it may or may not work, right? but it, it will only work if the other conditions exist to move it for sure together. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. So what, what I think what you're saying is that it's incumbent upon leadership, people that are leading change yep. to recognize that if we don't get all of these pieces working, then it's really difficult to get a whole thing working. Yeah. I think it's pretty it's cool. So, and so what's, what's neat about it is like I, I talk a lot internally within our company about the language of gain versus the language of loss. And and it's like and it's like it's like it's not wrong. It's just an incomplete view of the world. That's right. Right. And so I think the challenge is a is a is a C level person or a change leader or something. We've got to see a lot of um, you know, v, you know, VPs and C level people that are responsible for agile transformations or PDO transformations or digital transformations to recognize that there's this much larger problem that has to be addressed. And if it's not addressed in its entirety, ultimate leading back to this idea of systems and structures aligned with um, customers and markets, right? The ability to pivot, right? When but, you but, do that. Right? But it, but there's, there's what we've learned is you can do this incrementally and iteratively across organizations. So you can right. take a capability or a slice. It's the next most important one mm-hmm. to move that curve, but you have to look at the whole ecosystem around that slice. Yeah. You can move the, you can move the system of delivery pretty far up that curve. So are you saying that if, if, if somebody was starting a digital transformation or a PDO transformation or a P2P transformation, that maybe that's a valid place to start, even though it's dealing with a subset, yep. but just recognize that as soon as you do that, the constraint's going to move to someplace else in the organization right. and you're going to start hitting walls that maybe you didn't anticipate. Yep. And, and so, so when you do, you have to be paying attention. You can't quit beating yeah. the horse. Yeah. I've broken the a elephant. metaphor. Yeah. I think you broke the elephant. You have to, yeah, you have, you have to then pay attention to where the constraint's moving towards. You have your head up because it's going to happen. Okay. And then the other thing that happens is if you get it working even in a slice and you don't address those other parts of the organization, then before too long, the ecosystem will beat that part of the system back to where it was yeah. originally. So so you, you go with the best of intentions, but if you don't deal with it holistically, it'll actually re- erode the progress over time. That's right. Fascinating. Okay, cool. I'm going to wrap us. It was awesome. That was good, right? Yeah, great talk. 